0: When you hear a strange noise in your home at night, do you grab your EVP reader and a sound recorder that was produced in the early 90s and ask goofy questions to thin air? When a strange animal streak calls out as you sit around the backwoods campfire, do you reach for your trusty 2-pixel camera that was a gift from your grandma in 2004 and has been dropped at least 16 dozen times and never charges more than a fourth? Yes. Then you are in the right place. This is Strange Shenanigans. I'm Stan.
1: I'm Ashley.
0: We're going to have some stories for you today. What are you doing, Ashley?
1: I'm going to talk about a French princess that we all really should have heard of, but haven't, and I don't know why.
0: Awesome. I'm going to talk about some main. Buried treasure stories
1: are we gonna go find it be millionaires
0: sure yeah. let's
1: do that so nobody should listen right now <laughs> so we get to keep all the pirate treasure for ourselves
0: well I mean no one's found it in the past like 300 years so I't I do don't, I don't think the odds of anybody finding it before us are very good or of us finding it in general
1: so if you're listening right now when you find the treasure made you have to give us 10% because you heard it from us <laughs> it's the rule
0: are we gonna start with you.
1: Absolutely, we are. So, Anne Louise Benedict de Bourbon is a French royal that you have never heard of. Maybe because she wasn't somehow scandalous enough, or because she didn't have her head chopped off. As much as I love a story about a good head chopping, I think Louise deserves someone to talk about her because everyone has forgotten or never heard of this woman. Louise was the daughter of the Prince of Condé and Anne Henriette of Bavaria. She was born with a lame arm and she was a member of the House of Bourbon. The House of Bourbon was a Frankish dynasty from France, a branch of the Capetian dynasty. Being a member of this house in the 1600s and the daughter of a prince, this made her a Princess sang, which literally translate to Princess of the Blood. This means she is a direct descendant of the line of a royal prince. The terms prince and princesses sangs were most well known in royal French history, but as we all know from history, being a princess wasn't that easy, or it was even worse if you were. If any type of royal that could have have any type of power or political power. And Louise's story surprises me that we have never heard of her. Louise was born in Paris in 1676. She was the eighth child in her family. She was lucky enough to be raised in the beautiful still standing Hotel de Condé, but unfortunately that was the best part of her childhood. Her father, the prince of Conde, was an abusive man. It's recorded that he was essentially crazy, though they politely call him mad in all of her biographies. And her and her sisters had to live in a, quote, slave-like conditions. He was incredibly abusive to their mother, and she was known to be a gentlewoman and was always trying to shelter the children. The girls did manage to spend a majority of their time together and with their mother, Anne, and did receive some type of education, which was actually typical if you are a noble of France, even as a woman in the 1600s. And Louise was taught to read, write, and sing music and dance. There's only the best way to get a man is to know how to dance. <laughs> Louise actually was very outspoken, but she was accused of having a very bad temper you know because she grew up in an abusive home and was forced into marriage but we have to talk about how bad her temper was she
0: she was a woman in the 1600s who had an opinion so she's just angry we're lucky she
1: wasn't accused of being a witch (laughs) frankly she was also very obsessed with her appearance which you can see in the very few portraits of her that exist most of the portraits done of her were by unknown artists. They received no credit at all, which was not typical of that time. Many of her portraits have no accredited artist. She was given the nickname Doll of the Blood in reference to her title Princess of the Blood, but with her obsession with appearance. So she was clearly very loved to be called Doll of the Blood. (laughs) As a result of her bloodline, Louise was forced to marry the Duke of Maine when she was 15 and he was 22. Not the worst age gap we've ever heard of in royalty.
0: Still gross. Still
1: kind of icky. (laughs) The Duke of Maine was the son of King Louis XIV, though. This is the king who ruled over France for 72 years and is known as Louis the Great. Now, if you look up the Duke of Maine, you will see the words, Legitimized Son of Louis XIV. This is because originally Louis Auguste was the illegitimate son of King Louis and of his official mistress, Madame D. Montspan.
0: Not the unofficial mistress. This chick is bona fide. Yes,
1: that's right. Because I said uh, official. No, don't get any ideas or anyone listening. Men, don't get any ideas. Calling her official does not make it better. Okay. Doesn't make it better at all. I guess unless you're king in the 1600s. (laughs) When Louise and the Duke were married, all of their siblings were invited, but the Madame de Mutzpan was not allowed to attend. So, again, ladies, no benefits here. Being official, the official other woman did not work out. Okay. But her head did not get chopped off. So it's pretty good for the 1600s. Really? Now this doll of the blood wasn't the most loved in her new family. In the family of King Louis XIV, her sister-in-law gave her her own nickname, which was Little Toad. <laughs> yeah. Seems like a super happy family. Super endearing. <laughs> the same sister-in-law was recorded as saying one thing about Louise. And that's all I could find of anything of her saying anything about her new sister. The new Madame Dumain is not taller than a child 10 years old and is not well made. To appear tolerably well, it is necessary for her to keep her mouth shut. (laughs) For when she opens it, she opens it very wide and shows her irregular teeth. She is not very stout, uses a great quantity of paint, has fine eyes, white skin, and fair hair. If she were well disposed, she might pass her wickedness is insupportable. <laughs> so it's pretty obvious that the Duchess of Orleans was not a fan. Louise was considered the most attractive of all the daughters of the Prince of Condé. So, I don't know what that says. I guess, what did the other daughters look like?
0: I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I think it's more, uh, you, got, you gotta take out all the big fancy words and, y- you know, use some, like, valley girl slang instead and it's the same sort of bullshit other women say about each other nowadays where they're just being catty and nasty because they have some sort of differing of opinion
1: yeah and and louise had lots of opinions the hatred the duchess of orleans had for louise didn't seem to really matter or king louis just didn't care because a majority of the children of the prince and anne actually married the children of louis the 14th which there were like a million of them So it was clearly a political move, but those details are boring and I didn't keep looking them up. So it didn't really work out, though, because none of the children ended up being kings or queens. So I don't care. (laughs) The hatred of Louise was shared by the duchess's brother, though, the Duke of Maine. And if you remember, the Duke of Maine was Louise's husband. They hated each other. And the Duke and Louise were both handicapped. She had an arm that didn't work properly, and he had a leg that didn't work properly. The irony is hilarious (laughs) to me. And he hated her well-known bad temper, and Louise hated how lazy he was. He was considered the laziest of Louise's children. And it was said that Louise was actually the scandalous woman we should have heard of because she had many affairs and was politically ambitious. What use was being married to one of Louis the Great's kids if they were lazy and could care less about doing anything? Louise and her husband were constantly made fun of in the royal circles because they were both handicapped and they had horrible nicknames that I cannot repeat on air. (laughs) But that didn't stop her from having some fun on the side. Hatred for each other aside, both parents did love their children very much and raised them differently from how they grew up. But Louise was not... Going to let her lazy husband affect what she did in her life. <laughs> During her marriage, her father in law secretly married a different, you know, other woman, Madame de Maintenon, and she was expected to be part of her court, and that wasn't going to happen. The Duchess of Maine decided to create her own court at the Chateau de Sussex, sure, which is still standing today. The chateau was and is a beautiful mansion that is six miles from Fr- um, from Paris, France, and it's called a country home, which we all know is just another word for smaller palace for Big royals. It's <laughs> huge and it's gorgeous still. Louise was an amazing entertainer and fully immersed herself in her circle and the politics she cared about to move on up. She fully renovated the chateau, and when she was happy with it, she took up full-time residence in it. With and without her husband, she didn't care. And she gave herself the title, Le Reine des Abiles, if I said that right, which translates to Queen of the Bees. Have you ever heard of the Queen Bee? Right. Well, you wouldn't have heard that term if it wasn't for Anne Louise Benedict de Bourbon of Maine, because she took the title a little further than your high school popular girl. In 1703, Louise created her own personal chivalry Order, the Order of the Honeybee, and she gave the order to thirty-nine people to serve the Queen Bee. <laughs> Each member was giving a robe embroidered with silver thread, a wig in the shape of a beehive, and a medal embossed with her face. <laughs> she's a she's like my hero. Louise is crazy. what's working because she became the host of all hosts the go-to host of France. She entertained the famous French writers like Voltaire, Jean Baptiste, the Colonel de Burns, and a bunch of other names that I'm butchering to pronounce. Her crazy all came in handy when she convinced her husband to join in on the Clamère Conspiracy of 1718. The Clamère Conspiracy was a conspiracy against the regiment of France, Philippe Orleans, who took the throne after King Louis XIV died. This They aim to dispose of him and his petition. I love how it said dispose of. <laughs> like not once when you read about the the conspiracy, it just says kills. They were like, no, we're just going to dispose of the prince. <laughs> Whatever that means, right? And place Philip, the then king of Spain, as the new ruler of France. And do you remember Louis's temper and how well she lo- was by her family? They loved her so much. When Philippi took over the throne, he decided to take away all all the ranks of the prince and princes of blood away from all the illegitimate children of king Louis. in turn the legitimate t- children as proper titles if you were illegitimate turn legitimate i know right he turned you back into illegitimate and just said that you are like uh just like a client a friend of France. <laughs> like you're fine
0: a known associate yeah
1: a known associate <laughs> And Louise had held the title since she was born and she would not stand to be downgraded just because she was forced into a marriage with the Duke of Maine. She had held the title of Princess of the Blood, which apparently you want to be called, since she was born. And just because it sounds disgusting doesn't mean she wasn't going to go down without a fight. She was the brains of the marriage and she conspired to dethrone Felipe with the Prime Minister of Spain French statesman, the Duke of Richelieu, and French diplomat, Melchior de Ponglès. Unfortunately, the Clamère conspiracy failed, and the Duke and Duchess of Maine were found out and put in prison. Their sons were sent away, and their daughter was forced to move covenants, all of which don't seem like major punishments, but to the Queen Bee, she was even more angry at Philippe, and still tried to conspire within jail, even though she was still in jail. (laughs) Louise was already not popular in the family, but nothing could really be done because of how popular she was outside of the family, so they couldn't put her to death even when they wanted to. When it came time to arrange marriages for her sons, though, she was unable to arrange any marriages to any of the royal cousins. (laughs) Now that sounds like super messed up.
0: But it so was... maybe their children won't ha- have deformed arms and legs? Well,
1: but it was super common <laughs> for royals to marry other cousins. And you may be thinking, well, good for whoever that cousin was that she was trying to set her up with and they were standing their ground. But don't think that. Because in the family, a majority of the family married other cousins and other relatives, except for any of the children of the Duke and Duchess of Maine. So they still married other cousins, just not them. That was another dig at our Queen Bee, and only one of her sons eventually married, and her daughter's marriage was actually never arranged, despite how hard Louise tried. Her daughter died unmarried, but she was a lady after my own heart, because... When she died, what was written about her was that she died with a library of 3,000 books. (laughs) So when her daughter died, that that was what was written about her. She was the owner of a library of 3,000
0: books.
1: (laughs) What a fabulous thing to be known for. And Louise herself outlived her daughter, her husband, and all of her siblings. She continued to renovate small palace homes and entertain famous writers. But she never again conspired against any French rulers. She was the only one left. (laughs) (laughs) She outlived everybody. So at 74, she was like, I guess I'm done. And that's the Louise Duchess of Maine, our Queen Bee. We would not have the term Queen Bee without (laughs) Louise of Bourbon.
0: That's fantastic. Now we're going to switch gears from uh, those born with a silver spoon in their mouth (laughs) to uh, the self-made men and women who made so much money that they decided to put it in the ground and didn't have time to come back for it.
1: Uh, That's where I keep my money.
0: Right, exactly. So there's there's some fantastic treasure stories for Maine because Maine was one of the uh, first parts of America to be colonized up the coastline, but it was treacherous and dangerous enough that... There's so many uh, pirates, actually, that buried treasure. There's even known built fortress, pirate fortresses along yeah. the coast of Maine. Um, all sorts of great stuff. And not to mention the uh, the massive influx of money from fur trapping that all rolled through Maine. Because
1: you had to be crazy to live here. Yeah, so it's exactly. Like the perfect place to bury it or build your fortress.
0: Yeah, so uh, the first set of stories is not about pirates or men is about a native american woman uh, the name that's given is Molly Ockett and there's there's two treasures uh, legends about Molly Ockett so her her family was instr- instrumental in uh, the new hampshire and maine fur trapping industry during the early you know oh settlements in uh, north america so she she and her family were making a fortune as native people by uh, trading and also by uh, administering uh, medical help because the uh, tribal medicine was so much better than what a lot of, you know, European medicine that was actually in the United States at the time. So the stories are actually of Molly Ockett and her her, uh, family, how they had so much money gained from all this trade and uh, rendering of aid and all these other different things that they did. But they were a nomadic people, so they couldn't carry, you know, giant sums of gold with them wherever they went.
1: Ugh, why not?
0: So they buried it in Maine. <laughs> so uh, the first uh, of the two stories are uh, from, let's see, we've got... In January 12, 1861, letter to Dr. Nathaniel T. True of Bethel. Tradition says that she formerly had quite a sum of money and that it was buried in a tea kettle on a small hill in the vicinity of the White Cap, which is a high granite mountain in Rumford. Uh, it's called Farmer's Hill. At the time, by the side of a large stone with a cross on it, and that there were guides to the large stone on smaller ones from a certain point in the Ellis River in the shape of an Indian arrow with a barb and quiver. Much time was spent looking for it, but the trouble was to find the starting point. Several years ago, Mr. F., it doesn't include his full name in the letter, discovered the picture of an Indian's arrow on a, on a stone in the woods. He stated the fact to an old gentleman who remembered the tradition. The search was immediately made, and the large stone marked with a cross was found. On digging about it, uh, they discovered that uh, excavations had been made there before. It was a Saturday night, and uh, it, the dark came on quickly, and they hadn't got in deep enough into the ground to find anything. So they returned home, but the secret leaked out, and a party who made the the party who made the discovery went back on Monday morning and reached the spot just. Uh, in time to see two men depart with a large uh, metal kettle between a giant pole that they had to car- hoist on their shoulders because it was so heavy. Um, and it goes on to say uh, uh, "The uh, was born upon their shoulders who had been digging on the Sabbath and found <laughs> the prize. So their excuse for not getting the treasure before them was they, they couldn't dig on God's day. There's a second story, which is a story of Hemlock Island, which uh, was during the last years of the 19th century from Bethel native Peter Smith Bean in 1824 and 1911. He wrote a series of recollections. There is a tradition that a kettle of money was buried in Hemlock Island in the Anderskoggin River in Bethel. It belonged to the tribe that Molly Lockett belonged to. They pulled all, pulled all of their money into an iron pot and buried it on the upper end of Hemlock Island. They selected a place where two hemlock trees grew near each other and roots running past each tree and interlocking and leaving a space between the trees free from roots. After carefully placing birch bark in the pot for lining, they put in jewelry and money. The money was French and British gold. The silver was mostly Spanish coins. Tradition says that there was over a $1,000 besides a large amount of valuable jewelry. Molly Lockett's story about the money. She says she was so young that she forgot about the burying of the pot of money that the party who buried it were soon engaged in war with another tribe. Those that escaped were attacked with diseases and kept dying until Molly's parents were all that was left of the original party. Molly's father was taken down with smallpox and died. Oh. And uh, before the mother died, she said Molly promised to return to the place of the buried treasure and dig it up. In due time, Molly arrived at the island and began to search for the twin hemlocks, but none were found. Everything had changed during the many years that had passed since they had left the island. And for years, Molly made the island, her headquarters, there being... Plenty of fish in the streams in that vicinity. She was living there when uh, Grandfather Daniel Bean came to Bethel in 1782. After a while, the settlers noticed that Molly did a large amount of digging on the upper end of the island. When they questioned her, she said she was digging for roots to make medicine. After a while, she did not dig so much, but seemed to be deep in study by spells and kind of downhearted. One fall, she came here. She was sick when she came. Though she had, would never recover, she called a grandfather, Ethel Smith Jr., to her bedside and said, "Ethel, I want to tell you something, but you must keep it to yourself if I live. But if I die, you can do as you please in the matter. After grandfather promised to do as she told him, Molly told him the story of the buried treasure on Hemlock Island. Molly got well again, told grandfather he might have one half of it if he could help her find the pot. Grandfather spent some time digging, but never found it. The last time I was at Grandfather's in the year 1835, he told me about the treasure. Molly Lockett had been dead for years and sleeping in her grave in Andover. Time passed until 1844. I had come into possession of an instrument that gold or silver would attract it so strong. A person might hide a 50-cent piece outside of the house and could find it in a few minutes. I started for Maine, determined to explore Hemlock Island for all it was worth. But it was too late. The treasure had been taken away by another person. That other person was born and raised in Newory, but drifted as far as Cincinnati, Ohio. He had found it by aid of the same kind of instrument as I, I had. This person is supposed to have found the Hemlock Island pot of treasure. was Professor, prof, Professor John Locke, a short time after a man by the name of Eames went to the island out of curiosity and discovered where someone had dug up the pot of treasure. Uh The ground had been dug over many times where it was buried, but no one went deep enough to find it. During the lapse of years, the flood said it left deposits of soil on the island yearly, which had added greatly to the depth of the earth above the treasure every year. That is the reason that Molly Lockett could never find it. Poor Molly. Mm Mm-hmm. So there's uh, there's even more treasure stories out there. So there's a, a very pretty famous one that people might have heard of. But uh, one of the uh, most famous pirates in the 18th century was Samuel Bellamy or Black Bellamy. Uh, he was known uh, to wear extravagant clothing, and it's actually the basis for most pirates in literature and movies and such, with their fancy ruffs and all that stuff. <laughs> Uh, according to the New England Historical Society, Bellamy was able to capture and plunder 53 ships before he died in a shipwreck off of Cape Cod in 1717. His Man. ship, the uh, Galley, was discovered in 1984 and has been an ongoing archaeological project and has brought gold, artifacts, and human remains to the surface. Oh, comforting. uh One thing is known about Bellamy that his crew used the mouth of the Machias River as a hiding place and it established a massive wooden fort there for their protection. The fort is long gone, but it is said that Bellamy buried millions of dollars of gold, in today's money, somewhere along the shore. When Bellamy's ship was found, it resurged the story of Bellamy's gold being out there somewhere, but nobody has still found it since the 80s. So there's
1: still a chance, Mm -hmm. if it's even there...
0: The uh, the the legend is uh, that the treasure is buried inside a large wooden vault, kind of similar to the whole curse of Oak Island nonsense <laughs> in, in Nova Scotia. Uh, but the in reality, it is similar to what they would have done to protect it when, because I mean, they weren't. Th- it wasn't always a manned fort. They weren't always there. Right. They were out plundering ships. So it. To this day, it could be preserved underground somewhere, inside this this massive wooden it's vault.
1: Super underground now. Oh
0: yeah, right. It's
1: super super underground.
0: <laughs> um, but nobody's found it to this day. But if you want to go look for some treasure, I've got some uh, treasure legends with where their supposed uh, locations are
1: that have never been found. That have
0: never been found. <laughs> Blackbeard treasure. On Smuddy Nose Island, Smuddy Nose Island is on the Isle of Shoals in Maine. There's obviously Sam Bellamy only and Paul's Grave, William's Treasure, which is pirate treasure near the mouth of the Machias River, near where uh, the present-day bridge is standing on State Highway A1. There's also Captain Kidd's buried treasure, which they cannot narrow it down to which island it is on. But they are convinced it's on one of the islands on the coast of Maine. <laughs> so
1: it's just like on an island in Maine?
0: Pirate treasure of Haskell Island, which is on Haskell Island, supposedly. <laughs> uh, Dixie Bull's buried treasure uh, amount around $400,000 in uh, Damers Cove Island and uh, Cushing Island. Uh, there's also uh, Captain John Quelch's buried treasure on Star Island, supposedly. Alright, let's go. Pirate Edward Lowe's treasure on Pond Island, which is Spanish gold and silver coins. The wreck of uh, the city of Portland Steamer, which was carrying gold and silver coins, which is said to be on the shores of the Monroe Island. Uh, Portuguese sailors buried treasure, $50,000 in gold and silver coins on St. John's Island in Casco Bay. Uh... There's supposedly treasure buried near Fort Williams, which is silver coins from the 1700s and artifacts, which is obviously by Fort Williams, uh, Park Cape, in Elizabeth, Maine. Um, there's the wreck of the HMS a 100 pounds of sterling silver and gold coins, Ooh. Kitty Point uh, by Portsmouth, Maine. The Farmer Finds Treasure, which is $1.5 million in gold, silver, coins, and jewelry on Deer Island.
1: Uh, Let's go.
0: The barons Lost Treasure Tress, five chests of silver and gold coins uh, near the village of Pentagoat in Maine. Wreck of the Royal Tar, which is $35,000 in gold and silver, which is supposedly at the bottom of the Penobscot Bay. Mm. That's an actual shipwreck. Jim Dolliver's Buried Gold, $10,000 worth of gold sovereigns uh, somewhere between Manchester and Murphys, Maine, along the French Trail. And lastly, The Lost Treasure of Timothy Barrett, $70,000 in gold coins near the town of Liberty, Maine.
1: So not here, like, where
0: are you just, like, outside and the- There's not many stories of, a uh, uh, treasure stories in northern Maine. There's two that I know of, um... And one of them was uh, actually a Revolutionary War story, where uh, uh, a unit that was supposed to go retrieve money and weapons from uh, from the French closer to Canada actually tried to traverse the the northern wilderness of Maine. And when they did it, they just couldn't continue without possibly dying. So they had to oh, bury geez. they had to bury everything and just try to get back and survive. And but the story exists, but there's also some record that Washington sent men back to go get it. Oh, okay. So there's an there's another either. there's another Northern Maine treasure story that's about a uh, an ex, uh, a, a wealthy uh, businessman who uh, he owned a lot of trading posts all throughout uh, New England and Canada, and he was traveling with his daughter when she got extremely ill and passed away while they were in Northern Maine in the middle of the woods. Oh. So oh, instead of, you know, worrying about all his crap and everything while she was getting sick, he threw her on the horse, ditched his wagon with all the stuff in it, and then took all the valuable stuff, which he had uh, supposedly a bunch of bags of uh, precious gems and, and diamonds, and buried them in the side of the hillside before he rushed his, his daughter to try and save her life before she passed away. Aww, and he didn't, never came back for or found it, supposedly. Those are the only ones I know of that are more northern Maine than they are. Coastal Maine. Yeah, Coastal Maine gets
1: all the fun.
0: Right? And they're
1: already rich. What the right? Heck?
0: They're already a bunch of wealthy bastards down there. <laughs> well, that's all we have for you today, folks. I'm Stan.
1: I'm Ashley.
0: This has been Strange Shenanigans. Uh, you can find us...
1: On Twitter, under the Strange Show... And on Tumblr, Instagram, and TikTok on our strange shenanigans. Don't forget to go over to patreon.com slash strange shenanigans. And sign up to get like a bunch of cool stuff. You can get stickers and t-shirts and all kinds of stuff. For only like $5. So. I'll
0: give you a kidney for a little more than $5. Yeah,
1: so come support us. I don't know what our kidney tier is. I'd right? have to go
0: back and look. I mean, <laughs> bar's pretty low for me, man
1: take a look on patreon we also post like special pictures and behind the scenes stuff so go on patreon give us all your money please Yay. don't forget if you want to start your own podcast hop over to podbean and use code strange shenanigans and get a bunch of free stuff from them because they're already rich
0: right and pod podbean's uh live broadcasting is pretty sweet actually their whole setup Oh, yeah, it works great.
1: Make sure to follow us on Twitter or Podbean because Podbean app will just pop up and be like, hey, those weirdos are going live right now. Open us up and listen.
0: Everybody stay strange out there.